Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ethics Experts. I'm your host, Giovanni Gallo, and I'm excited to feature Sam Silverstein today. I just want to say, uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, if this is your first time joining us today, welcome to the show. But if you're a repeat lis listener or you're a subscriber to our podcast, an extra special welcome to the show. And see, that's what you get when you subscribe. You get an extra welcome at the beginning of, ep of each episode. So why don't you think about hitting that subscribe button? Without any further ado, I want to introduce you to Sam Silverstein. If you haven't know, if you don't know him yet, uh, you will regret that you didn't, and you'll be happy to know him now. Sam is the author of ten books on culture and leadership, uh, including a book called No More Excuses and a book called I Am Accountable. Uh, Sam writes and teaches and offers thought leadership on accountability and culture and leadership. Sam's recognized across the world by global gurus as one of the top culture experts. And he works with companies and countries around the world on this topic of accountability and leadership and culture. As we talk about frequently here on The Ethics Experts, culture is king. Culture is the key to us elevating our impact as an ethics expert beyond just kind of getting the initial essential work done, but to having that full impact and being the leader and the strategic lever in our organization that we hope to be and know we can be. So we're super excited today to welcome Sam Sam Silverstein. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Giovanni. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, so glad you could join us. Well, listen, um, I'm big on this stuff. Um, here at our company at Compliance Line, accountability is one of our key core values. Um, one of, you know, one, one of three that we really focus on, and we think that it really powers our mission and powers our difference. Um, so uh, before we get into that accountability piece, um, we like to tell the so the uh, personal side of people's stories. So why don't you um, give us a chance to get to know you a little bit, Sam, and tell us uh, kind of what your path has been to becoming this uh, this global guru. Well, it's not a path that I would have necessarily uh, expected or or that I plotted out. But I, you know, I went to business school and and I got an MBA and and I owned multiple organizations. I've been in. Uh, two closely held family organizations, the last of which we sold off to a Fortune 500 company. Um, I find myself today, quite frankly, looking back and, and I, I've on more than one occasion said, boy, I just wish I knew then what I knew now. Mm -hmm. um, and we all can fall into that, obviously. But uh, I wrote my first book 28 years ago, um, started speaking. It took me, it took me the better part of 10, 12 years to figure out that really everything that I, that I was about was about accountability. And it was, and then on that journey, it took me probably another five years to figure out what accountability really is. Um, over the years, I've just been sharing this message. And then the next thing I know, I'm working with organizations and government agencies around the world, helping them create a culture that inspires and prioritizes accountability and allows them to grow to be the best they can possibly be. So this is my passion. Um, my mission is to build a more accountable world. I believe we do that by helping people understand accountability individually, building more accountable organizations, and then working together to build more accountable communities. That's awesome. That, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, I know I do, and I think a lot of our audience would agree that, um, you know, a lot of the gaps in 
things that go wrong and things that aren't working right is due to gaps in accountability. And there's, you know, there's this thing going on in our world. It's been going on for a while where, you know, the world's different from where it was 300 years ago, where everything was local and you knew your local, you know, tanner and your fishmonger or whoever. Um, and I think that as industry and the economy has kind of grown in complexity and size, uh, we've lost, we've lost a handle on some of that accountability. Absolutely. And, and the challenge with accountability is this. The reason why we struggle with accountability, Giovanni, is that people don't really know what accountability is. Okay, let's they talk about that. that. They, okay, so first of all, we think it's punitive. We think it's standing up and saying, oh, it's my fault. I messed up. It won't happen again. That's not accountability. That's honesty. That's transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that has really little to do with accountability. Um, accountability is keeping your commitments to people. That's it. Now, if people are involved, relationships are involved. And the commitments I'm talking about are not the tactical commitments like I'll be there at eight, I'll get the report done. Um, you know, the, the commitments are the relational commitments that bring people closer together. Hmm. So accountability is something that's not mandated. You can't walk into someone's office and say, you will be accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable. I mean, you can walk in and say that, but it's not going to get you anywhere. It never has accountability is helping people be accountable. It's pulling alongside as a leader and being accountable to them first, meaning that you're keeping commitments like living the values, like standing by them when all hell breaks loose, Uh like leading your potential people to their potential, to being their very best. And when we do these things as leaders, and what happens is we create a relationship with the people that inspires them to want to be accountable in return to us. And it's that magic that happens in an organization and in a culture that creates super high performance organizations, creates sustainability, creates a place that attracts the best, keeps the best. Um, And let me tell you, accountability goes straight to the bottom line. Well, I'm, when you say it that way, Sam, uh, it's hard to not get excited about that. What, what of those things that you listed, do we not want more of, right? Better relationships in the workplace, better leaders, more alignment with our values, straight to the bottom line. I'm sure someone out there cares about profit, right? Um, and ultimately doing the right thing and taking care of people. Um, it seems like this is really kind of uh, a linchpin and a key to unlock a bunch of the stuff that we're all trying to get in our lives, in our workplaces, in our world. Well, exactly. And it seems so simple, but yet people struggle with it. And yeah. I think the reason people struggle with it is because they see people as the problem and the people are not the problem. The problem is that is how we as leaders see our people. Um, accountability is, is something that leaders use to manipulate their people to do more. That's not what it really is. Huh. And so until leadership steps up and takes the responsibility to create that environment, that culture that inspires people to want to be their best, then you'll never, you'll never create that super hyper accountable organization where ethics and compliance are lived at the highest level. That's an outflow from creating a culture that inspires accountability, along with everything we talked about, including engagement, including safety, including increases in productivity, including an openness to change, including creativity and innovation. All of those flow from this culture that prioritizes accountability. That's awesome. So you talk, that's really interesting that you talk about how some people see accountability as very task focused 
and very kind of force you to do something. And you're saying at its core, accountability is a relationship. It's modeling something and compelling someone to be engaged in a way where they, they are part of it, not just forced to do it. That's exactly right. But the challenge is we run into leaders and they have an attitude. Well, so these are the things we hear. We hear, you know, I pay them to do that. Okay. So yep. Uh-huh. I've heard that one. We hear that. Now, Why should I think you're doing your job? I, you get a paycheck. Right. But guess what? Do you appreciate what they're doing? Do you show them appreciation? Do you appreciate them as people? Do you understand the challenges they're facing? Do you realize what's going on in this pandemic where people are working from home? I have a client that said it's business as usual. We're just working from home. I told him you're wrong. I said, you, you, you're half wrong. You are working from home, but it's not business as usual. Have you ever tried to work from home when your spouse is working from home? You have a two bedroom apartment and you have a child or two. Yeah. Tell, that is not business as usual. Yeah. And you're playing, playing school teacher. Well, exactly. So the question is, how is the leader compassionate for their people who are facing that situation? Because when you help your people solve the challenges that they're facing, then what happens is they want to help you solve the challenges that you're facing. And uh -huh. that goes to what accountability is all about. And so it emanates from leaders first. Other things we hear from leaders, I have 32 problems or 32 headaches, or 32 challenges, and each one has a first name. There's huh. a leader that sees their people not as solution, but as the problem. Right. And, and then we hear the leader say, you know, this, this is business. It's not personal. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, every interaction between human beings <laughs> is personal. Yep. It doesn't matter. Look, we could be discussing business. We could be discussing our families. We could be discussing baseball. It, whatever, it's personal. And right. how you treat me is going to impact how I respond. How yeah. you see me is going to impact how I respond. A am I going to be engaged? Am I going to be disengaged? And so leaders that feel like, well, this is business and we just need to come here and get to work and don't take the time to get to know their people. Mm -hmm. Don't really love people as a whole and want to see people do better. These people, these leaders are going to be ineffective in the long run. They may make some money as an organization, but they'll never be the best they could possibly be because they're not creating an environment that prioritizes and inspires accountability. And in that process, they will never create an environment, a culture where ethics is held at the highest standard. That's sorry so that I'm not I'm sorry that I'm not passionate about this. I'll try and ratchet <laughs> it up in the second half of our conversation. Okay. I'm sure you'll get there. Wait for that coffee to kick in and uh, you'll get there. <laughs> no, I mean it's um, you know, there's I, I can tell that you've kind of honed this and you've refined this and you've discovered it through your different writing and stuff like that, because in some senses, it's simple. In some senses, it's profound. In some senses, it's everything, right? Like that thing about it's not business, it's personal. It's personal. Like, listen, you know, business is personal. You know, my interest in baseball is personal. My interest in hearing how your weekend went is personal. Personal. You know what? Me asking what I need to do is personal because I care about it. And, you know, hey, I, I need some guidance on this or I need some coaching. 
I care about my life. I care about my impact. I care about keeping my job and doing well at it. Um, it's all personal. And you know what? If it wasn't, the, this would just be two machines talking to each other. Well, you know exactly. what? A car drifting down the road on its own with no one in it is nothing personal between the car and the road. As soon as a person's involved, it's personal. Exactly. So, so what happens is a leader needs to really care about their people because the responsibility of leadership is not to maximize the profit on the bottom line. Yes, we need to make money. That's uh, There's no two ways about that. Got to make money to stay in business. But a leader's responsibility of the people that they lead. You are first and foremost responsible for the success, the safety of those people that you lead. Um, so now what happens is the leader that is focused on the people instead of on the bottom line is going to unleash those mm -hmm. people to focus on the bottom line. Yes. So if all I'm doing is trying to focus on the bottom line, well, yeah, we'll make money. But if I start focusing on you and I start focusing on the person that's sitting next to you and the person sitting on the other side of you, now there's three people that will be unleashed that yes. will help this organization be better than it was yesterday. And so my goal as a leader needs to be to serve you. Now, so where does that come from? Where does that emanate from? How do we get connected? And how does this get to ethics? And eventually it's going to go through the values because the values of the organization are going to define the culture. And the question becomes, is the leader really all in on the values and on the supposed culture that they want to have? Okay. Yeah. And I think in getting into that, like what are the two sides of the spectrum? Either you're about the values, you're about the relationship, you're about leading and modeling it for your people. And then everyone is running this direction or you're about the bottom line or make my job easier or don't be a problem to me. And then it becomes this very disjointed thing where like, okay, well, I'm about my bottom line and that's my paycheck and how much I work. Or I'm about you not causing problems for me leader because uh, when you keep asking me to do this, then that's harder for me. And it kind of becomes very selfish. And I think that there's, there's a part of how you're defining account accountability. It's not just, I have a contract and I better get what's mine. It's, we are all working on this and we are working toward this mission and these values. Um, and it puts everybody on the same side of the field of the table on the same team, instead of this very kind of contractual um, trans, transact, uh, transactional um, type of relationship. Am I, am, am I heading in the right direction there, Sam? Absolutely. You know, there was a movie that came out in 1993. Uh, so it's a while back. Most people probably haven't seen this movie. The name of the movie was Dave, D-A-V-E. Okay. And, uh, long story short, there was a, a president who was a jerk okay. and, and he was married and, um, the president had a stroke or something and and this person who was second in charge wanted to you know wanted wanted power and mm. so they were trying to finagle a way to get power and so they didn't tell the the world or the, that that the president had this stroke and they brought in an actor literally an actor who looked like the president to play the president well the actor went rogue and what happened was all of a sudden the actor said you know what i can make a difference and started doing things that were contrary to this, uh, I think, Secretary of State or something that was trying to get power and started doing things that was actually good for people. Now, mm. imagine that. And so 
what's happening in this is this guy, Dave, is taking care of people, looking out for people, and the secret service that's with him, he's looking out for them, and they're seeing the good that he's doing. And late in the movie, when it comes out who he really is, the secret service agent that is responsible for protecting him looks at him and goes, you know, I would take a bullet for you. Hmm. Now, this is the thing. The reason why the secret service agent would take a bullet for this guy who was not even really the president mm -hmm. is because he knew that Dave would take a bullet for him. Yep. He knew that Dave was there for him, cared about him. And that's, we see this, these, these, this small percentage of leadership where the leaders really care about their people and they put the well-being of their people first. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is you create this army of people who then care about you, the organization, everyone in the organization. You create this environment where people want to work together. They want to be successful. They want to talk to each other. Imagine that. <laughs> they want to help each other succeed. It's not just all for one and one for one. It's, yeah. <laughs> all, it's one for all. Right. And so this is this unique place that can be created. We know how to create it. We know how to measure it, whether it's there or not. We see it all the time. We see when it's not there. But leaders have to be willing to say, you know what? Maybe I'm coming up short. Maybe we're not there and not make excuses. Oh, well, we're too big. We're, in, we're spread out around the world. We're in too many different countries. No, it, the, the principles are true and apply no matter whether you're an organization of two or 20,000 or 200,000 people. It's the same principles that apply that create this organization where ethics and compliance can be maximized, where well, I asked an, a president of an organization once, I said, do you have a ethics officer? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? He's, he looked at me, he goes, Sam, all of us are ethics officers. Now think about that. What if that's the way people perceive it in an organization, that we yeah. all have to operate at the highest level of ethics? Yeah. Um, and, and see, I believe that that's possible. I believe that's possible. I believe it's possible too, but um, I think you'd probably agree with me. Um, I'll give you a chance to disagree if you like, um, but that's only going to be possible through building relationships and bringing people into it, not mandating and beating some, everybody over the head with what they have to do or they'll get fired or with uh, you know, a bunch of contractual obligations. Exactly. Um, accountability is not a contract. Accountability yes. um, is not a piece of paper. And, and there are there are organizations that would that would lead you to believe that where they come in and they teach people to write contracts with each other and it becomes a very tactical issue and it is not accountability it is responsibility because you are responsible for things you are accountable to people and as long as leadership does not understand the differentiate the difference between that and differentiates between responsibility and accountability. They'll never master accountability in their organization. That's great. That's a really, uh, I, I think that's a really powerful distinction. Um, that distinction between responsible for things and accountable to people. Um, and, you know, I think that you've seen it, you've seen the transformation, you've guided people through kind of getting their mind around this, and you've seen the power of 
increasing your focus or realizing the difference between being accountable, getting people on board, caring for them and helping them to care for the common mission. Um, and I just think that it, it, th this is a great time for us as ethics experts to be leaning into this. So I'd love to uh, just get a little bit of your perspective. I'd like to look at uh, you know, our leadership and influence as uh, compliance and ethics professionals at the team level, right? We manage a team, there's some people that are in our division. And then we're also trying to uh, lead and influence the entire organization toward living a, you know, being a more ethical business and stuff like that. Um, so I'd like to get your perspective on how we can kind of level up on some of that. So let's talk about the team first. Um, you know, my sense is that um, ethics and compliance professionals, we have a lot of guidance on regulations. We have a lot of guidance on, uh, you know, how to set up some software to do investigations or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think we have a lot of compliance specific leadership training. There's a bunch of leadership training if you're in operations and there's a bunch of focused, you know, how to lead a sales team. Um, but help me out a little bit, Sam, like how can someone who's a mid-level manager or a chief compliance officer take some steps to start living, modeling, and being a more accountable organization within their specific team, you know, of, you know, three to 10 direct reports or, you know, the, their division. Okay. So this applies whether we're talking about an organization as a whole, we're talking about a leader within within a unit of the organization, whether that unit is three people or 300 people, 3000 people. Um, the challenge becomes is when this doesn't emanate from the top, hmm. then um, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get undermined. And so the, the, the best organizations are the ones that get it at the very top, but you can do this anywhere in the organization. And that is the question is, is, is living through the values. Here's the key. An organization needs to have a great set of values. Now, that, that's different. A great set of values is different from having uh, great values. Okay, tell me about okay. that. Because let's say take the most common value out there that we see when we work with organizations, helping them either define their values, redefine their values, or establish their values. The most common value we see is integrity. We see this all the time. And that's great. I mean, I, I would hope that that is in play. Now, what it means is, is different from every organization. But okay. so integrity is a great value, but in itself is not a great set of values. Okay. And so a great set of values has to connect to four specific areas. You have to have foundational values, which talk to the character of the organization. You need to have relational values that talk to internal relationships and external relationships, how we're going to get along, how we're going to communicate. Um, respect. You need to have professional values, which says this is the level of, of excellence that is acceptable here. Okay. And then you need to have community values, values that define what your relationship is with the community, how you support the community in which you live and operate. Okay. All four of these areas need to be taken care of if we're going to create a great set of values. So now huh. you have this set of values so as a leader, the question becomes, are these values, which represent what you believe, are they non-negotiable? That's why we wrote a book titled Non-Negotiable, because it was about an organization that did just that. Do you subjugate your values to the situation? In other words, are your values situational? Well, you know what? It's going to cost us a lot of money. We'll make an exception this time. Um, that's a situational value. And then it's not a value. If you have a value 
that you say is yours. If it's on a piece of paper, if it's on the wall, if it's on your website, but you knowingly don't live it uh, or knowingly allow someone to stay in your organization that is not living it, then it is not your value. And leaving it on the wall on the website literally <laughs> makes you a liar. And nobody yep. wants to work for a liar. So mm -hmm. the question is, is it really your value? So the leader in this unit that you described needs to take control of those values and say, we are going to live these values. I'm going to live them. I'm going to show you how to live them. I'm going to model them for you. I'm going to teach them to you. And I'm going to protect them. Meaning, if Sue over here is not living the values, Sue can't stay. I don't care if she's our number one salesperson. I don't care if she's in charge of manufacturing. I don't care if she's the number one compliance officer. I don't care who she is. You either live the values or you don't, because yep. that's what we say we believe. These are the ground rules of our organization. That's where you start building this culture that people come together on because nobody comes together or connects over a product or service. People connect through the values. Mm, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I love that piece about protecting it and about if you're not living up to it, you're lying. You're, it's, it's worse than not having anything at all because people are like, okay, well, you said this and you did this. I'd rather that you just did this and I, and I didn't have to worry about you lying. Um, we're going, we, we do learning summits here at Compliance Line um, where we kind of do a book club and, and we're all trying to learn and grow together. Um, we're reading this book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Um, well, the, the principle, one of the principles in it is that a commitment is not a contract that you write. It's not, you, you, you tell everyone you're going to do something. A commitment is an expressed state of, I do this, therefore I'm committed to this, whether I say I'm committed or not. And I think in your frame, if you say that you're committed to integrity, but you always choose profit over integrity, well, you're actually committed to integrity no matter what you write on the contract or write on the wall. And I think that it's just a, it, it's a powerful thing to realize, you know, I mean, maybe we're just saying simply that actions speak louder than words, but I think that it's, it's like, it's so integrated into this whole thing that, you know, what, what you do, right? You said you got to live it and teach it. You got to model the values and you have to protect it. Um, and, you know, when we talk to our team and, you know, do training and we try to reinforce our values, we talk about how we're going to live our values by what we accept and what we reject. And it's by decisions that we make and actions we take, not just something that we write and we sign, you know, the bottom exactly. of the page and say that we're with it. But how you act in the face of a conflict, we say that these values these should be telling you one way to go or another. We choose transparency over secrecy. Maybe someone likes secrecy and they build an organization around that. We're gonna be built on transparency. Um, and we talk about that trade-off because these should be getting action in your organization, not just you know some nice things to say. Right, so your values are not truly your values until you've protected them, until you've uh -huh. defended them, until you've chosen the, made a decision that aligns with your values in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. That's when your that's when you own your values. Uh, before that, they're just words on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I, I, one of my books is titled, No Matter What, because the book is all about the 10 commitments of accountability. And in that book, I define what a commitment is. A commitment is no matter what, that's okay. it. Uh -huh. and it doesn't matter if it's spoken or not. Now, here's the thing, because you you brought this up and it's fascinating conversation. Um, 
there's two types of commitments. There's tactical commitments and there's relational commitments. Okay. Tactical commitments for the most part are spoken. I'll, you know, I told you I would be here at a certain time. Um, I told you I would get a certain report done. I told you I would take out the garbage. Mm -hmm. You know, I told you I'd pick you up at six to go to the baseball game, whatever it is. Right. These are tactical, they're spoken. Tactical commitments go towards productivity. They're good. That's great. But they do not go towards accountability. It's the okay. relational commitments that go towards accountability. And while they can be spoken, for the most part, relational commitments are not spoken. A commitment to the truth, a commitment to the values, a commitment to a, a, a safe place to work. I'm not just talking physical safety. I'm talking right. emotional safety, yeah. a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to leading you to your potential. These are commitments that a leader makes that are unspoken, mm -hmm. but they, a true accountable leader takes them on and fulfills them no matter what. Now, the beauty with relational commitments are relational commitments go towards build accountability. And when you do that, when you create accountability, accountability will help improve productivity. So productivity does not improve accountability. Accountability will go towards productivity and accountability is the outflow, not from the tactical commitments, but from the relational commitments. Wow, that's big. You can have both but you can't start from either end to have both. You got to have the foundation of the accountability, the relational, the values, the I have your back. And then that can lead to productivity. You can fight all day for productivity and not get the relational piece. Right. It's, it's, here's the thing. It's equally important as a leader to master the tactics of the organization and what I call the spirit of the organization, which are these relational commitments. Hmm. You need both. Yeah. Too often a leader puts the emphasis on the tactics. Mm. Everyone can master the tactics. Look, pick an industry. You and I just, all we do is open up a web browser, go on a Google, we can find the tactics. And by five o'clock tonight, you and I can know the best tactics for that industry. Right. All right, no matter what it is. But the relational tech, the relational commitments, that has to start because we believe that that's important. And it's until we master the relational side, until we really master that, we will never master the tactical side. Because once we master the relational side, our people will work tirelessly to be the best tactically that they can be. And for the right things, rather than something that's just contractual or forced or, uh, you know, wrongly incentivized or something. Exactly. And that's when ethics is maximized. That's when ethics is truly lived, because part of the values that define the culture are words that specifically lay out what we believe here in this organization as it relates to the ethically living, operating, acting. Right. And if you're protecting those values, then you're not allowing anyone to stay that's not living them. And so by definition, you have a 100% ethical, compliant organization, because when someone's not being ethical, they're gone. You don't right. allow them to stay. You, you allow them to go someplace where that kind of behavior is accepted. Not that we don't make mistakes, not that we don't 
hire someone we shouldn't have hired. Sure, that happens. Sure. But as leaders, we have to place the decision to correct that above the concern about losing uh, our top salesperson. Right. Or losing three months of productivity to bring someone new on and all of that stuff. And ultimately, to your earlier point, if you choose the productivity or the sales over that, then that's what you're committed to. That's what your values are. And it's not integrity or it's not transparency or accountability or whatever it is. Exactly. And you've undermined your whole organization because if you fire the number one salesperson because they are not living the values, because they are not living the ethics of the organization, and what happens is the rest of the sales team looks at each other and goes, my leader believes in me. First of all, my leader believes in the values. Therefore, I must believe in the values. Number two, they believe in me. They wouldn't have gotten rid of the number one person if they didn't think that we could pull together and make take up the slack. And so right. now everyone starts working together and it just changes the entire environment and you get the best out of everyone. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, part of a big takeaway for me from our conversation, Sam, is that as a leader of a team, if I'm an ethics expert, if I'm a compliance professional, part of what I need to do is figure out how I can tie values that are defined either at the organizational or the department level, right? This is what we stand for. This is what we care about. Tying those into some actions so that we can express them. We can, uh, we can recognize them. We can protect something. We can say no to something and then use that as a totem, as a story that you, that, that you tell around your team and you say, hey, this is how we did this and this expresses our values and you guys should all be doing stuff like that. Um, I think that finding those actionable times when you can express and lead and protect your values, um, it, it, it sounds like that starts going a long way toward actually having an organization that's defined by this accountability um, and then getting to all of the action and the tactical stuff afterward. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Um, so I'd love to um, touch on something here. I know that you've written a bit and we touched on it a little bit. Uh, everyone's dealing with this work from home, this working remotely, this, you know, dealing with the pandemic. Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, uh, it's not business as usual. How can we kind of level up our, our leadership and our culture against this challenge of working from home through bringing this, this accountability lens? Well, here's the thing. This that's a, a an issue of demographics. It's geography, rather. It's an issue of geography. Okay. Um, what happens is working from home. You have if you have ten people or ten thousand people, rather than being able. Look, I just can't knock on your door and say, "Hey, Giovanni, look." Um, I need your help with this. Let's talk about this because your door is not next to my door. It's not on the floor. It's not in the building. You know, yeah. you live 10 miles away. Um, and so my question is through your values as a leader, what are you doing to stay connected to your people, to support your people, to help them be successful? Okay. Um, do they, you know, it's like people that are working from home as a company, if you stepped up and said, look, you're sitting in a chair all day, um, you don't have the proper chair in your house to, to, to work in front of a computer terminal all day, we're going to send everybody um, a great chair so that you're comfortable. Okay. Something like that. And I'm just, you know, I'm just giving yeah, a some expression example. of it. Yeah. It could be that a says, thousand Hey, things. I care about you. I don't want your back hurting at the end of the day. I want you comfortable. What do you need? What, how mm -hmm. can I support you? Um, 
it means maybe getting in your car and just doing a drive-by and calling them and say, hey, I'm out at the curb. Stick your head out the front door. We're going to be socially distanced, but I want to say hi. I want to see how you're doing. I need to see you. I want to make sure you're okay as a human being. Gee, what is, how does that feel when somebody really cares about you? And so, yeah, it means that you can't just sit in your office or at home and, and on Zoom and, and know, you know, I realize that sometimes we lead people literally around the country or around the world and we can't just drive 600 miles to see somebody. But what are the things that we can do to make a difference? What are the things we can do to sh show people that we're supporting them to maintain those relationships? Because okay. that's how you, that's how you, as long as you're contributing to your relationship, you're contributing to your culture. That's great. It's a really good prompt. And it's something that, you know, I've had kind of meandering conversations with people as we're all facing this thing of more work from home, more remote work, people are distracted at home. And my fear has been that this becomes a lot more transactional over a Zoom screen and over um, over email, it becomes a lot more tactical. And, you know, my broad concern has been the culture that is really the mortar that holds all the bricks together um, can dissipate when you do, you're not bumping up against each other, you're not checking in on each other and things like that. Because, you know, let, let's face it, we're just less likely to call someone up on, uh, you know, a video conference and just say, hey, I got nothing, just wanted to see how you're doing, let's chat for a little bit. You're a lot less likely to do that than stop by someone's desk and say, hey, I was just heading to the water cooler, wanted to say hi. And I think we lose the chance for a lot of that relational stuff. And it's a great prompt to think of how can I replace some of that? Because the relational, the accountable is, is probably more important than ever. Um, just the tactical is the thing that's kind of in our face. Well, exactly. And so even, even if we can't be face-to-face, -face, um, you know, you and I can't be face-to-face, -face, but uh, um, so, so what's to keep you as my boss, my leader from calling me and, and, Hey, Sam, I, I just want to check on you. I, how, how's Renee? How are the kids? Um, what's going on with the school system? Um, what's, what's, what's happening with this teaching from home? Is there something that you need? Um, right. and, and when you, geez, when you care about me as a person, I care about you as a person. And then together, we want to solve each other's problems, our personal yeah. problems, our professional problems, everything. We want to help each other succeed. That's when accountability is at its greatest. Yeah, and that's really what we're trying to get at in this whole ethics game is we want people to want this. We want people to be part of this, right? We don't want to be at odds with them and we're just the police and we're the department of no that tells everyone, hey, you can't do that. We want people to be on board with us. We want people to know that we care about them, that us making sure the company doesn't get sued is in their interest, right? Because we're all we're all part of the same thing. Um, and, I, and I think that... Um, if and as the ethics and compliance community can elevate past the tactical, elevate past the, I have to get this report done, I have to get this, uh, you know, this program in place, um, and build some of that relational stuff, I think it ends up being, you know, doing 10% more work in that relational stuff doesn't make it 10% better, it makes it 50 and 100% better. Exactly. Um, so as we wrap up here, I wanted to get a little bit of your perspective on this thing that's really cool um, and stick with us, everyone, because we're going to do a free giveaway at the end of this. Sam is Sam's gracious enough to uh, offer you something really valuable. Um, but talk to me about uh, you've uh, pioneered this way, Sam, to measure culture and to measure accountability. Um, tell me about how you how you measure that and how that helps leaders build accountability. 
So more than 12 years ago, we created what we call the accountability assessment. And we actually create, we look inside an organization and, and we can measure accountability. We call it the accountability index. We, we look at an organizational culture and we measure accountability. We look where it's strong, we look where it's weak, and we look where we can make the improvements we need to make. And so through this assessment, which we've actually, we is available in 20 languages. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, because we find a lot of organizations, even if they're US-based organizations on the factory floor, they might have, they might be speaking three or four languages, just depending right. on where they're located in the country and who has uh, the immigrants that have settled there. So we sure. want to make it something that all organizations can use. And what this allows you to do is, is look at your culture, see where you are today, not only plat plot a, a path to the future, but have something to measure against so that you know if you're improving your culture six months, 12 months from now, we can remeasure and we can see the improvements that we made. The Department of Justice is, is tied, as you know, ethics and compliance to culture, to working on your culture, to measuring what's going on in your culture. And so this assessment allows us to do that. And rather than just looking at stuff like engagement and all the mundane things that other organizations look at, we find that looking at accountability is what is going to differentiate any organization and create sustainability moving forward. So that assessment has become really a powerful tool for our clients. That's awesome. And, you know, I think um, a lot of the challenge with this stuff is it's kind of weird because it can seem so ethereal, right? It can seem so, oh, values and, you know, what does integrity mean to my direct report at 2 p.m. on Wednesday? Um, and it can see, seem so unbounded, but really, like, it, it is very tactical, right? It is, um, not to break your frame here, but, like, it, like, you do something for it, right? It's not just, like, you have some ideas and you never take action. Um, it's action oriented. And, you know, I think that having that assessment and saying, okay, we want to be more accountable. We're doing well in these two areas. We're okay in these three, and we really need to clean up on these four um, that allows you to take some action. And uh, it's really exciting because it's not just saying we want to be better. We want to be vaguely more ethical, but it's saying, okay, we need to do this. Here are some actions we can take. Let's get a plan around this. Um, and it, and it kind of puts the rubber on the road so that you can actually move it forward instead of it just being a dream. Well, exactly. Because if you can't measure it, then you, then, then how do you know what to work on? How do you know where to put your focus? So if it's, if it's, um, if it's measured, if it's treasured, then, then you put the energy into it and you can make it better and you can see where it's gotten better or where it hasn't, which is okay. You know, as long as yes. we're being truthful and honest with ourselves, it's okay to say, you know what? We haven't moved this metric in the last six months, but you know that's that's where we're going to focus, and we'll make it better moving forward. Yeah, I mean, part of part of what we say as part of you know our accountability value is reality is our friend. So if I haven't been leading you well, if I haven't been expressing my interest in your success in our relationship, well, let me know that so I can do something about it. I don't, I don't need to shy away from it. Exactly. Uh, well, this has been great, Sam. Um, I, uh, I'd, I'd love to uh, just turn it over to you as we wrap up, see if you have any final words or final challenges to us. Um, I do want to let everyone know that you can find Sam on samsilverstein.com. Um, you can find him on LinkedIn. He does a great job sharing his thoughts in a clear and compelling manner. Um, so I encourage you to follow him there. And uh, Sam is offering um, our guest a free personal assessment. This is not the full company-wide assessment, but a free personal 
personal assessment about accountability at amiaccountable.com. Uh, Sam, you have anything else for us? I, I just, I appreciate the time today to have this conversation. These are the conversations that are important to have. And what happens is that when, as leaders in our life and in, in our organization, at whatever level that, that you're a leader, when we make the commitment to say, I want to be more accountable and I'm going to get better, then the people around us see that. We're inspiring them to be better. We can be more accountable. We can build more accountable organizations. We can build organizations where ethics becomes critical to everyone. And it's by having these conversations that enables us to do that. If I can be of service to someone, I love when they reach out to me through those websites that you mentioned. And I just want to thank you for the time today to have this conversation. Yeah, Sam, uh, you're very welcome. You're welcome on the show. I'd love to have you back and uh, dig into this some more. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you joining us, Sam. Uh, your your passion for this is palpable. Um, it's infectious. And um, really, above all, I appreciate how much you care, Sam. Uh, this is not just something that you do. I can tell that it's a passion for you. And you care about making people's lives better through this, uh, you know, th this action and through this transformation through accountability. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights with our audience. Um, and thank you for contributing to the ethics experts. It's been my honor. Thank you. All right, everybody, that is the show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube and, and wherever else you, you like to get this stuff. Um, we will continue to give you uh, the best content we can through the ethics experts to help enable and empower you to make the world a better workplace. Thank you. I've been your host, Giovanni Gallo. This is Sam Silverstein, and we'll catch you next time.